0: Okay, so today I'm really happy to welcome on the guest, uh, UC. UC is a lead VFX artist at Mainframe Industries. Talk about what a VFX artist is. To be clear, he's not representing Mainframe Industries today, that's his day job. What I'm going to be talking to him about is really what he uh, moonlights as and what I kind of uh, follow him has on on Twitter and YouTube. Um, but before I do, Yussi, uh, would you mind introducing yourself, uh, yourself, your full name? I didn't want to uh, to butcher it. So thank you very kindly for letting me just refer to you as Yusi.
1: Yeah, so uh, my name is Jussi Kemppainen. And as you said, I'm a VFX artist at Mainframe. have been there for uh, three years already. Fantastic. But have now been looking into AI so uh, I'm working on Echoes of Somewhere, which is a 2.5D point-and-click adventure game like good old Monkey Islands or, or Indiana Jones games from LucasArts back in the day, uh, but with, a, with, with an experimental twist where as much of the graphics and other stuff as possible is done using AI as an experiment to see how AI slots in a modern gaming workflow as well as possible and this means to do a compromise on game design and storylines and locations so that the AI locations and, and characters are usable in the game. So this is kind of like a cooperation between an AI and a human artist on to see what the end product becomes when it's just like as much AI as possible. Yeah, the game is an episodic adventure game, which means that it will be released in episodes and it will be an anthology, meaning that the storylines in the episodes are not connected. So you can play them in any order or just play one and never touch the other ones or you can just start from whichever. But they will share the same world, which is this uh, dystopia, dystopian future uh, in the year 2040-something where AI has just taken over everybody's job and it's actually illegal for a human to perform any work. And this is being uh, looked after by all these... Uh, avatars for the AI who are all like shop clerks and restaurant waitresses and chefs and all like chauffeurs and everybody who is doing any like this manual labor is being taken over by these droids, which act kind of like in a sense like agent Smith in the matrix where if they see you performing any actions that are deemed work, they turn into these police droids and just tell you to stop. Like if you drop something on the floor, like a, like you like you drop like a, like you litter. If you if you litter, you drop trash on the floor, you're not allowed to pick it because that's work. And so you might get fined or even jailed for work. And the jail in this case is this faraway theme park island where you're sent on a holiday that very, very few people ever come back from. And because, of course, people want to work, this means that there's this bustling criminal underground of this uh, just like black market where people do Jobs that they used to do, but they have to do them in, in in secrecy, and it means that like the most common jobs that you have now are actually run by these hardened criminal crews, like criminal gangs. So like there's a gang for for manicures and pedicures, and there's a gang for cat grooming, and there's like this very serious ninja group doing street maintenance and clean up in the night, coming from the bushes and snatching stuff from the street, keeping stuff clean. And so this uh like most of the most of the humans are involved in this this criminal activities in some some way or form.
0: And presumably that's because people need work for purpose, right? So actually yeah. Thought, hey yeah, let's get rid of all these jobs and we'll be happy. But actually when all the jobs are replaced, we're like looking for purpose, right? Desperately looking
1: And of course of course there I don't think there's gonna be like a secret assembly line workers <laughs> doing stuff in the night, but people are going to be doing jobs that they kind of feel f- find fulfillment in in themselves in the, in the universe. But it rem- remains to be seen. And then there's, of course, this, uh, these people who have been born into it who don't even know what work is and how, the, how their lives are affected. Like one episode might be exploring the idea of somebody being born into a work, world where work just doesn't exist. As a concept, of
0: course, uh, exploring, um, I guess, the convergence of, of AI and other technologies as well. If you couldn't guess, uh, you see it's Finnish in Finland. Some of my favorite people, by the way, um, but maybe we'll get into that a little bit later. So reasons why I've got, got you on the show, as I said, I've been uh, internet stalking you for some time now. I actually don't know how I came across you. But it was almost definitely um, one of the clips from your YouTube channel about some of your work in looking at AI-assisted point-and-click adventure games. A few weeks back, uh, people that will know that follow me on Twitter, I've kind of been exploring this theme of composable creativity, where people are effectively stacking uh, different free or open-source AI tooling and technologies to rapidly reduce down the production process of anything from a game to uh, a movie or or even music. And in this context, UC's been doing some really crazy things in the context of gaming, um, a kind of point and click adventure games. You know, how old am I now? Coming up to 43. Um, was quite a big gamer in in my youth. Used to love things like um, Monkey Island and 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 uh, as you say, kind of click and point adventure games. And so I was fantasizing about taking that back catalogue of IP, imbuing it with uh, this kind of newfound intelligence in terms of its non player characters to kind of create much re- richer, immersive, uh, more real life like um, experiences but then also the potential to kind of remix those so i know that's not necessarily what we're going to be talking about today but it's kind of um, related so you see maybe before we get into what you're moonlighting with and, and some examples it'd be great to just learn a little bit more about you and your background
1: so i came into games in 2001 actually with the Nokia engage, like the taco shaped phone that you had sideways on your face, and that was my uh, entry to the to the business. Uh, I worked as a 3D artist on on a game called Pathway to Glory for that thing, which was a critical success and and we did uh, a sequel for it and then some other games, and then from that, I transitioned to directing music videos which was something that I, I used to do like as a hobby on the side, uh, apart from my day job in games, which led to advertisements and then TV series and then helping people do movies and all that stuff on the VFX side. So I, I had this uh, company called Studio Combo, which was uh, an animation studio uh, focused mostly on the VFX side and some animation as well. And this company was then purchased by Rovio and it turned, it turned into a Rovio Animation Studio, And we worked on the Angry Birds Toons TV series from where I migrated to prototyping departments as an art director there and then on the Supercell and then on to Remedy to work as a VFX artist and and then got to direct a game myself where I was the the lead designer strategy game called Iron Danger like this combat puzzle game and then after that I went to mainframe to work on VFX again. So it's been on this mixed road of games and, and and videos. So it's like a non-linear and linear media, but using the same tools and also some live action as well, mixed in for good measure. I mean, you
0: mentioned uh, Supercell, Rovio, I mean, you know, some of the, the biggest, well, not just game uh, studios on the planet now, of course, they, as you say, they kind of cross over into many other forms of different, uh, different media. Um, I actually didn't know most of that about you. It's, it's kind of tip, typical um, Finnish thing, maybe it's quite understated about uh, <laughs> achievements online, right? I, I, whenever I work with founders from that region, you're always trying to trying to get them to be more American <laughs> and talk about their achievements. But impressive uh, resume. Um, so maybe you could just talk a little bit about. I introduced you as a VFX lead for those that don't know, because of course. You know, a lot of people, we do have a lot of creators on, but we're generally talking to kind of founders and, and, and CTOs. Um, people might not necessarily understand VFX. Could you just explain uh, specifically what that means and, and uh, as, a, as a role and then in your day-to-day? Of
1: course, in the animation or movie side, that means all the computer-generated imagery on top of the film. Special effects would be practical stuff like explosions and, and other things, but VFX would be things you do, after the fact, which could be things like, well, of course, this is, isn't related to games now, but we're going through the whole history of work. So which would be like combining takes from two different shots, for example, like how oh, one actor did a great take and the other one, but they were not together. So mixing them together or hiding cuts or adding adding action, uh, like creatures in the shot, like a robot, or then adding gore or muscle flashes or smoke, or then even just set extension. Where you put or green screen stuff, where you put your actors in a different location. Uh, But in games, all all of that, of course, is actually the actual production of games. So in games, the VFX part is mostly particles and screen space effects like distortions. But it it generally goes along the same lines where you have your blood splatters or your interactions with water or nature or rain effects or nighttime effects. And lighting stuff sometimes also falls under VFX category.
0: So my understanding as a layman is that making a AAA game or a Hollywood blockbuster movie are very similar nowadays. You're using the same tooling. They take the same time, same level of investment, same kind of risk from a financial perspective. Um, and they uh, equally employ hundreds of people. So it's like very intense production process. To what extent is that true? Yeah, it's very
1: true. I, I think triple A production is is even larger than making a movie. Like the, the the difference between movie and a game is that from a movie it you only have to look good from one angle. Like if you think about the the computer image, like your project on your computer. If you think about that as like layers, that's you only need to appear perfect from this one angle. It's this one image that you must make perfect. Like if you do like a building, you only need to do the front face. You don't need to worry about the back of the building. Or if you do something like an explosion, you don't need to worry about how it looks from the sides. It's just like, just make this one angle perfect. But with games, you don't have that luxury because you don't know where the player is going to be. You have to build everything so that you can look around it from every angle. And you have to make sure that each of these angles looks as good as the movie frame, which is just one angle. So that it's multiple times more complicated, especially with AAA stuff, because you have to have the quality up to par with, like everything has to be of the same quality. Like you can't have some things that are just crappily it together, just everything needs to be to the same standard. And so in, with these explosions, for example, as an explosion, you can be looking at it from the top, from the side or from inside of it. And there are so many different places you can be. And then you just have to make sure that each of those work and to the same degree of quality. To what extent
0: are is the movie industry leveraging um, gaming engines? And or even now, a topic we're going to talk about a little bit later, AI, to reduce down that Production time.
1: I think it's becoming a thing now, where the volume is a commonplace thing, like used in the Mandalorian and other shows now, where you have this just this lead wall, like this room room with just lead walls and and ceiling, where you can actually like display images from Unreal Engine 5, and with the new technology that Unreal Engine has. You can use movie quality assets as game assets. So we, previously you had to have like you, be, you start with the same thing. You'd made a s- digital sculpture that was just very dense with polygons and detail. But then in the movie industry, you just slap into the screen. And in the games industry is used, used to go through a re topology step where you made a s- smaller version of it. You had the same source material, but you redid it so that it's simpler and more lightweight. But you, we don't need to do that anymore. We can now just. Take the f- high-quality movie asset and put it in a game engine, and it will run just perfectly. So that that's a big change, and this is also a change for the movie industry because now they can actually use game engines because you, they the quality is the same. It yeah. doesn't have you can't as a viewer you can't see the difference between a pre-rendered scene and a and a rendered scene from like a, a software like. Maya or Houdini the average
0: user consumer can can understand that somehow this the production process of making a game or a movie to a high quality means that supply can't meet demand you know you go to Netflix you can never find anything new if you've got a child it's even worse right because you're just watching the same things over and over again I could hear earlier you had a child in in the background so I'm sure that's a pain you have. And certainly if you're a gamer, you know, you're waiting years for, you know, a sequel to the gaming franchise that you kind of bought into. To what extent has the ability to kind of bring in um, movie assets into gaming and, and, and uh, gaming worlds, 3D worlds in, into movies, to what extent can these assets or are these assets being reused? So is everything having to be created from scratch or increasingly are these... Libraries of worlds and assets being being reused, repurposed to kind of reduce down that that production process.
1: I think the reuse is getting more popular, uh, especially in the indie world. People buy these asset packs or or things where somebody else has made some content and they buy it and they reuse it. But with AAA stuff, like it's crazy how much we redo things. Like especially when you think about games where most of the time a game is just you know you have a gun and you maybe see it from your eyes or from the up of the shoulder. You climb, you jump, you shoot, you hit, you get hit. All of these things are 99% of the time rebuilt from scratch. As, and not uh, Only when it's not like a sequel but when some other company makes a game that's just like other companies game they don't share anything, they just build it from scratch. So people spend years and hundreds of thousands of years redoing work that's already been done and sometimes it's kind of baffling to me like you just redo work that somebody else has done over and over again and then you put your little twist on it
0: yeah well and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later because this this is like a something that we've been exploring a lot is how could we create an infrastructure that could make that reuse easier and kind of automate a, automate uh, away some of the kind of uh, IP or royalties of that. But we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, l- let's kind of jump into these games that you've been building. Uh, maybe you could talk us through them, both in terms of uh, the game and the gameplay themselves, but also the process. Because, again, one of the reasons why I've got you on here is is that maybe linked to what we were just saying, you're using AI a lot to generate... Uh, characters all the way to scenes. And so presumably, that is dramatically reducing down the time and energy, the skills that you need in the room in a team to be able to create what looks like really compelling games.
1: Like the thing that got me started in this whole ordeal was that I was working on this game way before AI was anywhere near usable. And because I have decades of experience in the game industry i didn't have like i wasn't lacking anything i could just do everything myself but this is as a side project for me i work on this at the afternoons i just didn't have any time to work on this thing like uh, just creating a scene like a full scene would take weeks or months and creating all the things that go in it like all the little props and things it's just like endless hours of work even Buying assets, assets from asset store, you get just some things, but then you have to build everything else yourself. Uh, I, I dabbled into procedural tools where I could make buildings which just by doing the floor plan, and then it would just populate the rooms for me. But still, that only takes it so far. You have to go in and manually decorate everything, which is that's basically what game design is all about. You just like build the game, but doing this as a side project, it just wasn't possible. And then when Dolly 2 came out I I started to get intrigued like would I be able to do all the things that are bottlenecking me with AI, like would it be possible and I looked into it on and off for all of last year and then Midjourney came out and it was almost there, like I could see that this is already creating nice uh, environments but the characters just weren't there yet like the characters were like they had multiple arms and legs and then a couple of heads, and they were just weird. And then I think Mid-Journey version 4 was the one that I could already see that this is now usable for, for all of this. Like this is something that I can use to to try to make it. And then I did a first test. It was in the very beginning of this year in January, like the first or second of January. I went in and I tried the background. It worked. And I had uh, en- uh, enlisted a friend of mine to do some of the screen uh, script writing for the game, like what's happening in the plot points. And then we decided, okay, I'm going to do a test now where I'm going to see the pipeline from start to finish using AI. Is it even possible? What does it look like? Uh, I ended up on 2.5D because the backgrounds, of course, being 2D would be easy to do in in AI in mid-journey. That's the tool I used for this. I did decided to do everything in stable diffusion first, but then Mid-Journey version 4 was just so good that I switched to it. And so I made this simple background with a simple store, and then did a real quick... um, Like There's this tool called F-Spy that you can use for doing movie effects, where you have a video plate or a still image, and you need to know the camera information, the focal length for the lens and the camera position in 3D space. And F-Spy is meant for that. It's meant for figuring out the vanishing point in an image and placing a camera there so that you can place your effects or 3D assets on the image. And I used FSpy on the AI-generated image to see if it would produce like, a clean uh, focal length for the camera, and it worked brilliantly. I was able to very quickly just model on top of the AI image, model the basic, uh, basic scene and then just project the image on top of the 3D plane, and the 3D boxes and the, and the whatever cylinders I had there. Very simple mesh. And I was able to get the scene. And then I figured like doing characters in that style would mean that if I went 2D, I would have to do a lot of hand animation, where all the animations, all the directions of the character would need to be animated separately and rendered to sprites. And I figured I'm going to try to do 3D characters because then I would have access to motion capture libraries and also to AI solve of motion, ca- motion capture data. Like These days you can just have your phone and just film somebody acting something out and then it will be processed to 3D animation that you can just freely use in your game engine without any need for like expensive motion capture equipment or performance capture rigs like Rococo or or excents or other like volume solutions where, which are very expensive. So it would be kind of really cost effective to do motion capture on 2D backgrounds. And then I set out to try to do character turnarounds, which you have in Animation Studio when you design a character you want to have front view, side view, and then quarter view and then like a back view. And then I, I wrote a prompt and it actually produced an image of a character And because I ordered it to do all the different angles in the same generation, like in the same image, they were coherent. It was clearly the same character from the front, from the side, or from the back. So that was something that people had been struggling for a long time, because every time you had a character and you did a new generation, you would never get the same character. But by asking Midjourney or any any stable diffusion tool to do the character from different angles and in the single image it actually worked, and I was able to get these turnaround images like very usable for 3D modeling. And then I just used those as a reference to model the character, and then project textures from these generations on top of the character, and just clean them up a little bit. And it took me 12 hours from the start to finish to get the first character in and the first scene, and have the character walk around in the scene and interact with the the scene which is just unheard of. Like usually it takes around three, four days, maybe a week for a character, which is normal. And then for a background like this, it's a week or two, just to get the 3D background. If it's a painting, it's a little bit faster, might be four days, but with 3D backgrounds, it usually takes about a week or sometimes two if there's so much complexity. It was just mind blowing. And I could see now that I could be able to, I could easily make this game on my free time if I did all the graphics with AI, do you think?
0: I mean, it's fascinating that kind of breakdown, I've, and I've got loads of follow-up questions. But maybe, maybe to to kind of bring that little bit to a conclusion, how much of that whole
1: production process of a game do you think you could do alone, or now with AI, all of it? And I wouldn't be able to do the voice acting uh, with some or software, right? I could just act, or I could type in the acting, like use AI for acting. Sure, okay, voice acting is a no problem. I would want to have help with the with the audio and music. Like have somebody there who understands what sound is, how sound is used, and have somebody there who understands music. Like other than that, I would be able to do everything. Yeah, and in just months, not years or decades, but in months, you could be able to do a full game on your own, alone.
0: Without any real specialist equipment? I mean, obviously you need a relatively high power. Computer.
1: computer, sure, and a phone. But that's about it. Like, you wouldn't need anything else. I, I've been working on this on my Mac laptop and on my iPhone. I wouldn't, I hadn't had any need for any other more powerful equipment.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's just insane. Now, obviously, you are an industry veteran, I think 20, 25 years plus in the space at a very, very high level. And you've also had exposure to lots of parts of the process and presumably lots of other peers who are specialists in, in, in different domains. So I'm assuming you you have an appreciation for the overall process and you also know the professional language, like how you communicate instructions or, or how instructions are communicated across that that value chain. I guess that gives you an edge in prompting, right? If you didn't have all of that, you wouldn't know how to instruct with that level of, proficiency or to deliver that level of output or is that not true you think
1: it's i think it's possible i hadn't thought about it but it's possible yeah yeah i think it's for sure like i have had very much luck with just with the first like i just i've been keeping my prompts very simple like i haven't gone to full like novel length or like a full chapter length i have like 20 30 words maximum it's very short and simple like I just always wanted to keep it very simple but then that's also good for like I think it's good for like when you don't get something you can just change one word and it makes a big difference but I I, I think I'm a bit just lucky and it might be it must be true that it's been because of this all my experience in animation companies and all those things where I've seen people actually work on these mood boards and character sheets and work on these backgrounds and work on them myself as well so that it hasn't been like a big leap for me to get something like that out of an AI.
0: These prompts can be reused, right? I mean, how, how much were you writing? You were just writing your own prompts versus copy and pasting prompts from, yeah prompt marketplaces now, right? Which, which...
1: There was one, like I, I wrote the prompts, my prompts, I've been working them just fully on my own, but there was one prompt that I, a bit that I stole from somebody who had done a really nice uh, cityscape and they had just put in HDR and masterpiece in the end. And I realized that if I put in HDR masterpiece in the end of the prompt, they just the image is usually just way better. So that's like the only thing I oh, wow. kind of lifted from somebody else. And the, I share all my prompts in the in their dev blog. Like it's like every prompt I've used in the game is there, and the, and they are ridiculously simple. Like they are very short, and you can just take them and use them and do your own version of the everything that I've done super easily but
0: that's what I really so all the people I've had on the show talking about this kind of composable creativity or you know AI prompting well I, I guess I wouldn't have found them if they weren't doing an op- in the open so maybe they're not representative of the whole community but there is a sense that there is this kind of open source mindset right people are they're showing that they're, they're showing an output they're sharing prompts about how they achieve that output so whilst you might have had an initial advantage in knowing the language of instruction around game development production, you're, you're also kind of sharing that, right? So somebody can invest the time in going on YouTube, they can replicate what you're doing. Um, it's, it's not like you're kind of keeping this as a secret sauce somehow.
1: Yeah, basically, yeah. And, and the parts that I do that are actually difficult parts, like the programming side of it, or the shader programming that I've done, I've always shared all the code uh, on my website. So if you go into it, you could, you would have to kind of know how to use Unity and understand shader programming a little bit, but everything I've done, I've, I've I've all the source code is there to share so you can take it and use it in your own project. It's not very user friendly. There is many cases where things begin to fall apart, but it's just like, I done it specifically for my use but you could then take it and just make it your own
0: To what extent is is that that mindset common amongst i don't know what you would even call this community is that just you and if so why is it what why why are you okay to, to share that uh, representative of the wider community or
1: it might be representing the community but it might be again like a survivorship bias where you take the airplane that has all the gunshots in different wing tip wing tips and then you put more armor there because like there's every plane that had the bullet hit the hull just didn't come back ever so there must be people doing this stuff in secret like doing this stuff and trying to just like keep it on their, keep it their own and i'm pretty sure that there are those who knows when their first ai made game will be released it might not be mine or somebody else who is working on them openly. It might be somebody who's been just doing it in secret.
0: Yeah, but I guess it's no surprise, right? I mean, obviously, open source and, and the part of world that you're in is uh, they're kind of uh, very very closely linked.
1: Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't I don't know why I, why I share. I think it's I think it's because I find it kind of interesting, and I think it also it must lend to it because I'm using AI, which. You really don't have any ownership over. Like all the images you make from it are just they're just worth nothing. Like AI images are just like leaves in the forest. You find them and you you can't like anybody can go into the same forest and find the same leaves. It's not like they are your special masterpieces. They are just stuff that you found. I personally think that AI tools are just search engines that you type in your search terms and then into latent space, the thing just kind of goes in and picks up something and gives it to you. So you're essentially just typing in coordinates to this space, to this universe of possibilities, and you just find something from it, and then you can use it. But it's like, especially like I don't feel like it's my own. I feel like it's just like this is given to me to work on. But you don't have like I don't have any ownership over the stuff that. especially from generative AI. Of course, there's things like. AI that just makes things run faster, which is a different thing. Like AI is just put everywhere because a trendy term like there, but these yeah. generative models are just things that are like, I kind of feel that I'm just like, I'm being helped so much by them. So it feels just right for me to help others as well.
0: I mean, I, I really like that, they're the like leaves, You're, it leaves in a forest, That that's a really great way to describe it. And I do think it, Fundamentally challenges this concept of the auteur, right? So, for much of say film h- history, it's all been about the director. You know, all the way back to Troffeo to to you know whoever in, in more recent years. This genius that that can kind of tell the story in a way that nobody else can. Do you th- do you think that's that's just over now? As you say, really, you're 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 just kind of
1: no, really, no, no. It it's diff- uh, like. It's completely different. Like, if you think about the auteur, the director who goes into the set with the horn, and shouts instructions at people who do all the work, AI just makes everybody a director. Like, there is no more, there wouldn't be like a film set with people doing, carrying out the orders. That's what the AI does, but it makes, it elevates everybody into a leadership position who's working on this stuff. Like, like with like any art director in a, in an advertisement campaign or wherever they are just there to give instructions to the actual artist who is working on stuff so this just i think ai just makes everybody a team leader yeah an auteur if you say or director but it yeah. makes people of course then in a team where people use ai there wouldn't be any room for like a junior rotoscope artist or or uh, or a matte painter maybe but you would have just Like what I hope happens is that there will just be many more projects where people are working as team leaders and and discipline leaders and directors, and then the machines are just doing most of the grunt work.
0: Yeah, so it dramatically shrinks the production process and therefore the number of roles. So like that kind of vertical, it turns it makes the vertical horizontal, right? All of a sudden, everyone's a director. So there's there's fewer roles but there's more directors
1: yeah but I also think that it doesn't it doesn't shrink uh, for example it doesn't necessarily shrink a team like if you have a team like if you have a budget for a movie or a game the budget consists of just man hours usually there there's of course there's craft services and software licenses and computers but they were just just peanuts in the big picture most of it is just man hours that you pay people salaries. And if you have a game, it's I think games are like balloons that you blow into this shape. And the shape is just how much money there is to pay people to work on it. And you blow the balloon and it takes up all the space. And I don't think that with AI you're going to have like a smaller cage. Your cage is going to be the same size with the same people, but it's going to be a much bigger cage. Like the money can just make like a huge balloon in it. So the... Like, for a small team that works on something now, they will be able to do something that a big team does today. Like, with AI. Like, the indie team will be suddenly making AAA games, and then the AAA games will be something like challenging movies or whatever. Like, we haven't seen stuff like that ever. I think Star Citizen might be close to what games will be more like in the future, where they are these massive projects where you have hundreds and hundreds of hours of just content to plow through. But the indie games will kind of just be upgraded a notch. Like, I don't think the companies will get smaller or lay off people. I think the games will just get massively bigger.
0: So if we talk about, uh, and I think that's an important distinction, you know, from the indie game, which I think was how you'd identify, you know, the, the game that you're working on, to versus this uh, expanded game or expanded entertainment experience, right? Maybe it's not even just just a game do you do you think of that in the context of this this metaverse narrative or do you not kind of subscribe to that, that that you could have these interoperable worlds and experiences somehow or is that that doesn't fit in your
1: paradigm i think it's it's um it's a thing that's kind of already established itself like i don't Necessarily, f- I, I don't have an opinion that it's horrible. I think, like, like to me, Metaverse is what Roblox is and what Minecraft to an extent is and what the Fortnite is going to be a massive one, which actually uh, brings us back to the point where we talked about reuse of assets and stuff. Yes. With Fortnite, with uh, Epic, Epic's uh, Unreal Engine for Fortnite, that's exactly what's happening, where they can now reuse the same base to build on top of like you have everything that Fortnite has but then you can just build on top of it and that's actually I think that's going to be the the winner of this metaverse race it's not going to be Meta or Google or anybody who does a, like a metaverse project now because everybody is late to the game already like like everybody working on new metaverse stuff I think is very late to the game unless you're Apple and you can just put billions of in billions of dollars in it But Epic is going to just blow it up with the Unreal for engine for Fortnite because it will allow people to make content and publish it within Fortnite, and it will just make the Fortnite balloon up and be something for everybody because it's so easy to put content in it, and it's I, I believe it's going to be the community is going to be massive and it's going to be very easy to find stuff online on how to do content for it. And depends on the monetization, how you can, can you sell stuff in it? Can you have like uh, Web3 stuff in it? I think it will determine a lot of how, how the uh, economy builds around it.
0: So how much is, is Web3 um, on your radar? I, you know, I didn't get you on to talk about that. Um, And I never, I never force it because it, it can be very polarizing, right? Especially as you go into game, game development, um, like, what's your take on it? And feel free to be, you know, don't be polite. <laughs> we, we're, we're here to learn and, and, and understand perceptions. So you, you can just tell me it's a load of rubbish if you want. And, and that's okay.
1: I haven't looked into it that much to love it or hate it, but I kind of see that it's something that's inevitable. Like, okay. it's just like owning stuff digitally. Like, all, all, of the, all, all of our lives are more and more digital, digital all the time. So it only makes sense that ownership in digital world, like universal ownership between services becomes something that's required from online, regardless of your opinion on it. I think it's something that just needs to kind of happen because there will be a time when people are going to be spending most of their lives online at some point. I don't know if if that's good or bad, but for sure it's going to happen. And then, of course, they will want to, have stuff in their digital homes or digital worlds wherever they're going to live in they want to have ownership of items and status they want to sh- showcase their status like nobody buys a ferrari because they want to get fast to work they buy it because they want to establish a certain status and it will be online in the future it will be a skin on a game or a weapon or 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 a ferrari online like who knows whatever it's going to be but people are going to want to subscribe to it Regardless of my opinion, <laughs> like, I guess, like I don't, like I don't necessarily see it as, a, as an evil thing, but I don't know enough about it to know if if it actually is. Time will
0: tell. Is the point, right? Anybody that thinks they can predict where all these convergent technologies take us uh, is a liar. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's just too complex. There's too many orders of uh, orders of complexity. But so as a creator, you know, we talked about libraries. We talked about the fact that you, you, you have been able to use some libraries, I guess, as prompts to feed, feed into AI. To what extent um, do you as a creator see the value in, in Web3 for that, not necessarily as an end user owning
1: things, owning skins? Or well, Talking about AI prompts and stuff.
0: Yeah, because before you said, actually, the, out, the outputs of AI, is the leaves in a the forest, they're in and of themselves worthless. Does that mean that libraries of assets are basically free or close to the point of free, and therefore monetizing them doesn't really matter?
1: Yeah, it depends on, on the library. If it's a library of AI-generated assets, it depends. Like, in, like somebody has spent the time, compiling the library so the value comes from the work involved like you have to just uh, like you just have to value like you have to figure out like how long would it take for me to compose this library i know it's free but everything is free it's it's like if you work work at home if you you can cook home meals or you can go to the restaurant and like if you have the ingredients but it's basically the same thing it, Uh, One is free and one is paid, but you kind of just have to figure out what do you want. You're kind of subscribing to the sensibilities of the person who assembled the library and the time they spent on building the library. You're not subscribing to the value of the work itself that you're getting, like the images or the assets, but you're subscribing to the person's input to it. I think it's a valid point to sell that stuff. It's like just like work. It's just hiring somebody, like, use AI to generate me images of mushrooms. Like mean, a 100 different mushrooms and all in the same style. And so you can either do that or then just buy it from a library or do it yourself. Like, I, I think it's the, in that thought frame, it kind of makes sense to you to have a library of AI stuff. Even if on the surface it would feel ridiculous. But when you think about it more, I think you would come to this conclusion. And it's a service where somebody assembled this collection for you.
0: Well, I think you said it earlier, right? You said, you used this balloon analogy and you, you said, Game development is about time. Man-hours, I think you said, right? And and the amount of man-hours you put into it. And the same is true here. Yes. Okay, now, in theory, the same person can perform all the functions if they're augmented, by all the roles if they're augmented by, by AI, but they're going to be, some are going to take more than others based upon their proficiency at that, understanding of that particular thing. And therefore, it, it all just comes down to how you're going to allocate your time uh, and, and how much time you're prepared to spend on on producing a certain output. So I think you know, t- time is the, is the unit value. is p- probably uh, your time, not necessarily the time of the person that created it. It's is probably a good way to it.
1: Buying time, like any service, it's, it's a service more. Like it's not, you're, you're not paying, paying for the actual product that you get, but you're paying for the service of somebody preparing that product for you.
0: I've got one question. I know we're we're starting to run out of time. I said 30 minutes with 45 minutes. I I knew I'd go over with you just because it's going to be so interesting. Um, You mentioned that you drafted a friend to help you on the narrative. To what extent do you think that's like the final thing that will get automated out? Because I believe recently, well, certainly last week. So what are we now? We're like uh, May. Yeah, May. Uh, Mid-May. I believe screenwriters in 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 Hollywood are striking at the moment um, because people are just having scripts generated by AI. It's lowering the univalue of their time. But you, of all the things, you, it sounded like that the one thing that you really felt you needed to bring in was somebody to help you with the, the the plot lines, the story. Is that just you, or do you think that's inherent into that's the ultimate secret source of an entertaining game or movie?
1: that's so much fun to work on yourself like and it's not it doesn't feel like a chore it's just fun of course I've looked into AI powered uh, scripting solutions to see how they work and if they are usable because like one part of this whole enterprise for me is to see what AI tools are out there and how they affect, my life because I'm on the firing line in a, say, in a in a sense where like AI is coming to take over all my <laughs> jobs. So I want to be prepared. and I want to see if it's true or I want to see to what extent or how would I, if I have to, how would I then use AI tools in the future in a professional sense? So I've been looking into all sorts of solutions and also script writing. And I've kind of come to a, a, like a conclusion there that AI is very usable for, of course, uh, generative content where it's dynamically generating content which is like doesn't necessarily um, uh, like it doesn't necessarily combat against human entertainment that's like something that just doesn't exist yet you don't have a chatbot npc in a game yet like where you can just freely talk to it or of course there's prototypes but not in a triple a title yeah. but you would have to then as a writer you would have to write that kind of like a framework for the character like the yes the frame of mind and where they're coming from and what they what plot points they need to make but then the AI would just give them endless amounts of just uh, variation and then of course emergent stuff where your experiences together with that AI would then be saved in in his or her memory and you would kind of have like an actual real human relationship with an NPC in a game which is not possible today and That's like an experience that I don't think threatens uh, screenwriters, but that's like a new thing altogether that's possible to do. Like with Just like with the games that we have today where the content is linear in a way, where, of course, you can do things in different order, but when you hit a cutscene or a character, everything is pre-written. I don't think the AI tools are, at the moment, good enough to kind of take over, because it's very random and sometimes kind of like set in its ways, like there, it doesn't, like, like I tried these tools and if I wanted to have a certain kind of storyline, I just had like a, I had a frame of story in mind and I wanted the AI to kind of steer me through it and it didn't do very well yet, but what I found that was really good about it was a sparring partner, where once I had fed in all the parameters of the plot line to it, it could then give me answers in context to what I had been thinking so I had put in all the characters all the locations all the plot points all the little nuggets that I had already written myself and the AI was really good at coming up with options for me where I could ask it like okay there is this room and this door is locked what puzzles could there be to unlock this door and then it would give me five options which to be honest were not great but in those options, there were nuggets of nice ideas, like something, okay, that's a good idea, and that's another good idea. So then I could kind of get going on those. So it was like this, like a friend that knew everything about this project you could always ask any question from, and it would just give you an idea. And no matter if it was good or bad, it would just get you going forward. So I think that with the, with the writing partner AI, that was kind of fun. To incorporate it in there as like just uh, an as adi- as ad- additional set of ears, so to say, to just like shoot ideas.
0: But you did bring in a, a person as well, right? As I understand it. So, so do you think that was just because you're a human, and you wanted to bring in a friend, another human to share the experience of it? Because if it was just you and AI, it would have been un- intolerable. or
1: I, I, th- I think it was just because of like, that's what I've always done in the past. Like this person, Lauri, that I bought over was somebody who I worked with in the past on multiple things, like always uh, as like a writing partners, so or then he wrote all of it. And I would then direct or, or help him in his project. So we had this working relationship where we knew each other very well. And we ha- we knew that our sensibilities would match and we would have a good time riffing on story like story ideas. So I think it was just that's just so easy and so comfortable to work so th- that didn't require like um, an AI to help me do it because it wasn't a bottleneck in the project understood
0: and maybe that's where you got enjoyment from it I guess right yeah if yeah you enjoy the creative partnership with this particular person even though you probably could remove them from it. You know, it wouldn't wouldn't have been as fun, wouldn't have been as enjoyable.
1: Yeah, yeah, like there wouldn't be any point, too. Like, Interesting. I'm, I'm for sure, I'm going to use AI for some of the writing, like all the dialogue for, because the world is going to be inhabited by robots. the The game is, of course, about uh, AI that just took over everybody's job, and so everybody is left <laughs> out of a job, and so there is this criminal underground where people just do like black market stuff, and they have like. Uh, illegal barber shops and pastry shops where people do pastries, and they're just like these hardened criminal bosses, just making pies. Which is uh, <laughs> so. Which in which this world will have a lot of AI characters, and I do want to have all of their dialogue be written by an AI. And I do want to incorporate all the little weird quirks in there. And 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 I do want to put in a character that's just when you ask stuff from it, just test as, as a large language model, I cannot <laughs> answer you this question. Like I want to put all of that stuff in yeah. because that's just gonna be fun. And and of course, like we're gonna have to put in chat GPT or Bing or, or whatever Bard we're going to be using in the credits as uh, as like a dialogue writer for the AI characters. Which to me is uh, something that I think AI will be better at writing dialogue for AI than we would be.
0: So maybe just close off. Really enjoyed talking to you. And I think because you're quite philosophical in your perspective, where does this all lead us? Is it to that dystopia that you built in the game or is it, is it something else?
1: I hope not. I think like one of the idea in in the dystopian image in the game is just to show how ridiculous it is. Like to show that it doesn't really make sense for it to go this way. But then again I don't know like I like I know that in the end things will be great for most people like whatever like but if there is this shift there will be there will be casualties in there there will be there will be pain like human suffering somewhat like there's no helping it like every major breakthrough like invention of car invention of electricity even fire I think has had some sort of like so an element of grief in it where people need to lose their jobs like suddenly there are no people like manning the elevators when elevators are used with buttons and and the elevator business of just human labor goes out of business completely from the earth and there's all of these things that it's going to happen to i don't know when when gas cars get out go out out completely there's going to be a lot of uh, jobs involving fuel distribution that's just going to disappear and th- this happens all the time and i think ai is not going to be different it will have a component of people losing their jobs but in the end like everything that i just outlined people will end up with more jobs because these new things always produce more opportunities for people so i'm pretty hope i'm pretty um, optimistic about it and i think it will end up like we will end up in a really good place, but there will be a little bit of uh, turmoil in the process, like like always has been. And I just hope that we can kind of minimize the damage and be sensible about it. Because for, like for example, let's say, I've been working on this AI game on my free time, free, and it's going to be a freeware game, and I've been using AI to enable me to do this game. But if I would have funding from somebody to work on this game, i would cease to use ai immediately because of course i would want to work with humans i would hire artists animators uh, voice designers and and voice actors and sound designers and, and make this all human thing but because i don't have the funding and i don't kind of want the funding because then it doesn't it's not a hobby anymore and then ai is enabling me to do it and i think that's uh that might be a good example in multiple places where people will have access to this tool but they will just choose not to use it or then use it as a part of the pipeline where it does where it just fills roles that people but they don't necessarily already have in the company like i don't i don't i don't see it as a big enough threat but there are people who are already affected by this that i know of like concept art has gone down like there because art directors inside studios are using ai to visualize their ideas. They don't need necessarily to outsource the art creation. So there are, are already industries that are feeling the, the grip. Yeah, well, look, I think that's a, a fairly balanced um,
0: perspective. Uh, you see, it's been a, a real pleasure talking to you uh, as much as I, I'd hoped it'd be. I highly recommend um, people follow your your Twitter account, your YouTube account, Um, We will kind of put it all in the show notes. Your Twitter account is basically just your full name. Um, So copy and paste that, throw it into Twitter, and uh, and, and there you go. Um, Thanks for coming to the show. It's been a
1: real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. If
0: you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.